I had some students that were questioning the viability of the local church. Hey, friends, this is Dr. Gene Getz. He's an author, broadcaster, and pastor. But before all that, back in the 70s, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary while Tony Evans was a student. In fact, I had one student, and this was a course I was teaching on the church, and he said, who needs a church? Maybe God's going to bypass the church. Well, I knew that that wasn't accurate. I realized that I hadn't prepared to teach that class to be relevant and to deal with the issues at that time. They said, tear up the syllabus, which had all my assignments and everything. I said, I haven't prepared this class to answer your questions. (laughs) So consequently, uh, in the middle of the semester, I said to them, we're going to go back to the Great Commission, and we're going to start working through the Book of Acts and the epistles to see how God intended the church to function. And then (laughs) I had to be ready the next class to, to continue to answer their questions. Well, that began a process. Now, I share that because Tony was involved in this. See, Tony came to Dallas with a vision to be an evangelist. He wanted to be an evangelist, particularly to the black community. He saw a great need there. But the reason I share my experience is that that experience began to impact him from an ecclesiological point of view, where he began to really develop a vision for the local church. Tony encountered Dr. Getz's class toward the end of his master's degree, and he's once again faced with a choice. Welcome to Start to Finish, the life and ministry of Dr. Tony Evans. Episode four, The Church Planner. I'm going through the THM, the master's program at Dallas Seminary, and I'm majoring in pastoral ministry. Okay. Now, up to this time, I'm thinking I'm going to be an evangelist like Philadelphia. I'm coming into my senior year. I've been involved in seminary, I've been involved in church. I'm now in my senior year. Of your master's. Of my master's program. Right. And I'm taking a course with a professor who I've gotten to know some, Gene Getz. Okay. The name of the course was the name of his book, Sharpening the Focus of the Church. And it was on the church being able to relate to its contemporary environment. So taking biblical principles and relating it to the contemporary realities of people in building the church. So he went over these principles and it was quite fascinating. At the same time, I was with Ruben Connor, who started an organization called Black Evangelistic Enterprise, which was the church planning thing he wanted to do with planning Bible teaching churches in urban America. So I'm in this class with Gene Getz. Right. Ruben Connor asked me, as part of his organization, to spend the summer going around fundraising for Black Evangelistic Enterprise. It later became Urban Evangelical um, um, Missions, but but it was then Black Evangelistic Enterprise. Which would fund church planning. Which would fund church planning. Right. So Lois and I got in in our station wagon and drove across America to relationships of the Bible churches to raise funds for Reuben Connors' ministry. In this senior year, I'm, I'm with Gene Getz, right? Reuben Connor, right? Gene Getz is friends with Reuben Connor. They decide to invite me and ask me to plant a church, one from Reuben Connor's side, because of the planting of Black Bible churches, right? From Gene Getz's side, is because of our discussion in class. Some of these principles he thought would work in this context. Mm. They were friends. That came together. So Gene Getz Church was supporting Black Evangelistic Enterprise, Fellowship Bible Church. Gene Getz said, if Tony Evans will do this, plan a church because of 
because now I'm shifting more from evangelism into church planning, we will support him and mm-hmm. Lois to do this. Well, what happened is that Reuben's vision was to start black churches in big cities, and they would be Bible-teaching churches. And uh, so he approached Tony and said, and, and the organization then was uh, Black Evangelist Enterprise, and said, would you be interested in starting a church in the Oak Cliff area? Well, I didn't understand that and know about that, but at the same time, um, I was talking with Tony, and I said, Tony, you know, you really need to get in the trenches and start a church. (laughs) And he said, you know, I'd like to, but I need your help. And I knew immediately what that meant. He needed financial support. (laughs) So I went to my elders and I said, men, here's a guy that we really need to invest in. And they agreed. Great. Let's pay his full salary. And so I said, Tony, we'll pay your full salary for three years to help you start Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. At the same time, I'm doing this, starting this little Bible study in my house. It's just intended to be a Bible study. So all this is happening together. There's a Bible study. There's Black Evangelistic Enterprise. Why don't you start a church? There's Gene Guest. We'll support it if he does start a church. And I've got a Bible study. (laughs) So all of that is sinking together pretty naturally. At the very same time, I'm starting my doctorate at Dallas Seminary. At the very same time, I am invited to teach part-time at the seminary. All this is happening at the same time. So we've got a decision to make because I'm not, I can't teach at the seminary, do the church, and do the doctorate. It's, do I want to do the church or teach? Because right. I knew I was going to go on to the doctorate program. Right. And I have to make a decision. So Lois and I are wrestling with this. Dr. Ryrie, who's going to be my academic advisor in the doctoral program in theology, he and Ann Ryrie invite us over to the house for dinner. We share with them a little bit of this decision-making deal. To this day, I cannot repeat what he said. I don't remember what he said. But whatever he said that day, Lois and I looked at each other and knew we had gotten our answer. It was such a existential experience of hearing from heaven through what he said that we knew this was, this was God. And we knew that the decision was made. Uh, I I wish I could remember what he said, but I can't. But we, but I know he said it. Right. And it was, it was an illumination that this was the way to go to start the church. So with the shift now of your focus being towards a new church plant, can you just share, because evangelism was such a big part of your life, big part of your early days in ministry, the, the, the struggle sometimes, maybe even the challenge that, that you and Miss Lois faced uh, in answering the call to plant a church? Pastoring was never in my framework of thinking. I thought I would go back to Philadelphia to be an associate with Sam Hart. And evangelism, I loved preaching the gospel. And so that was always my plan, to go back to, to live in the Northeast. The influence of Tom Skinner, evangelism. Right. The influence of Sam Hart, evangelism, although it did have church planning attached to it. Billy Graham, that, I mean, that I, that was my mindset. Right. So when people would ask me what I would do without plan, Lois didn't like that much the thought of being a pastor's wife <laughs> because she's always on, you know, a spotlight kind of right. thing. And, and, uh, but she, her, she, she had seen some pastors' wives, and it wasn't she wasn't impressed. Yeah, and her <laughs> roots in ministry was serving alongside Sam Hart and well, and yeah, some and, of these and, as and, well. And, and she, yeah, because of Tom Skinner and because mainly Sam Hart, right. that was evangelism too. So she was quite comfortable with that right. and not being locked down in local church. So we weren't 
that excited about the thought of local church right. until that Ryrie night. Mm -hmm. That was the turning point for that because I always thought I would be a full-time evangelist, not knowing that starting the local church was going to open up with this worldview, the opportunity to do more evangelism and more comprehensive impact than just going out and being evangelism. And I do remember one of the professors, maybe it was Haddon Robinson saying, and I'm sure it was Gene Getz, two things, saying that they were, that all these ideas I was sharing would be best seen modeled mm. and not just talked about. That's good. Okay, so that was a, 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 a specific thought. And the desire to to have something to show, mm. that, you know, for what I was saying, because I am I'm developing this concept yeah. slowly but surely. And now when there's the offer of support to get it done, all of that kind of came together. Right. I wasn't that enthusiastic about it until it got confirmed that that was what God was saying. So what, what did it look like for a Bible study with Miss Lois in your home to become a church? <laughs> the Bible How did church study, planning look like back then? The, you know, we, we did the Bible study. A lot of times she would help out with the kids that would come. Um, but when that wasn't, there was some refreshments that she would make and fix for the, our guests uh, who had part of the Bible study. So it was a time of studying the Word and fellowship, right? Uh, uh, you know, in the home. When we broached the idea of having a Bible study, I mean, a church. We wanted to know how many would be interested. And there were about 10 people. Okay. And that's how we that's how we started. It was as simple as that. It wasn't complex at all. Yeah. And we just said, this is what we're going to do. And we started in the house. And then we moved. We began the process of itinerant movement. Yeah. To locations. Yeah. So obviously you've heard from the Lord and you're answering the call, what were some of the things that that made you nervous about church planting or stepping into such well, a... I had never seen quite seen myself as a pastor that way. But because I was still being asked to preach beyond this local situation, and because I was developing progressively this kingdom motif, which was bigger... Right. It facilitated something local as a base mm. for the worldview mm. for wherever it went. Right. So it, and it, it provided a laboratory for a worldview, plus the class I went through and the relationship with Reuben Connor about the importance of the local church. Right. All that together. It's 1976. Tony and Lois are in their late 20s with two daughters under five. They've agreed to plant a church as Tony wraps up his master's in theology. Well, he stayed there until he got his THM. Once again, here's John McNeil. And he called back home. He said, Pop, said, are you going to come to my graduation? I said, no. I told you I'll be there when you get your PhD. He said, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, if you want me to come out to, to Dallas, you get your THD, and I'll be right there. Well, he went back and digging, digging. So I know you're articulating the, the significance of Oak Cliff being the home base. How, mu how much did you go into it thinking that, though? Did, did you actually think that, oh, man, if we plant a church, we're going to have to say goodbye to everything else? And just well, for a time I knew that meant because I was in engulfed in the doctoral program, right? And the church, right? Okay, I did a few things at the seminary, but not much because that was just taking all my time. And my seminary focus was going to be on James Cone hmm. and black theology, hmm. coming out of all the discussions in college years, right? And the MBEA, and having read James Cone, the father of black theology. I wanted to go deeper into that. Mm. I even thought about going and taking classes under him at Union Theological Seminary in New York. Mm. That didn't work out. But I did immerse myself in James Cone 
everything he wrote, because he was approaching the racial issue theologically, bringing and historically, bringing black history, the black church, the Bible, and the contemporary racial uh, environment and coagulating them all together. Hmm. And he was the voice, the theological voice of black theology, which was the American form of liberation theology. Right. That God is the God of the oppressed. That is the thesis of liberation theology in whatever form you see it. So Latin in, in Latin America, it was a class issue. But in America, it was a race, race issue. Race issue, yes. And what he did was apply the principle of liberation and all that the Bible says about liberation to the black experience. So he wrote about the black experience and black power. and He wrote black theology as a theological system. So I immersed myself in that and I nuanced it and I, I uh, tried to analyze where it was legitimate, where it was biblically accurate, biblically inaccurate. Uh, I mean, it was an education for me to just hear the depth, to study uh, the nuances of American slavery, what the, the, the white church's contribution to American slavery, and an, even endorsement of it, uh, yet the birth of the black church and how it um, emerged in, a, in, an, in an era of oppression, and, uh, and, and what the Bible says about justice, and all of that is part of that mix and right. became part of my analysis of James Cone hmm. and selected issues in black theology. And that was, uh, that became the foundational work for the Oneness Embrace book. Right. That was the toughest book of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Your life too. <laughs> that one was daunting because you have to be so nuanced. You have to be so precise. Right. And you have to, and we were covering so much territory in that book, but I, I consider it the a treasure trove uh, because it really, number one, it gave great academic credibility because of all the sourcing that's right. in it. Right. And uh, it was dealing with something that was relevant, but it was a theological document, mm -hmm. although mm -hmm. it has pragmatic aspects because of the subject matter. And, uh, you know, it's, it's gone through a revision now and updating now. But that one was daunting. Let's talk about just the the realities of time and commitment and writing a dissertation on top of starting a church, on top of family life. I mean, uh, can, can you let us in on, on some of those uh, challenges? <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were... Those were challenges. I mean, I had health challenges doing that. I had chest pains because I was under stress. Because I did, I had the church, I had the family, I had uh, the academic work, and I was doing some teaching at Dallas Seminary and on an adjunct basis. Okay. And I was doing all that at the same time. That was stress. That was a terrible stress time that right. I was going through uh, mentally and physically and circumstantially and trying to handle or balance all of these things out. And then, then you know, you still have the economics of trying to provide for the family. Right. So I had to work part-time too. So it was... Uh, Do you remember the job that you had? I, I, was, I was working for, at that point, the Boy Scouts of America part-time. Okay. okay. I was doing that. And then when it started, the church, uh, Gene Getz, they provided $900 a month. So starting church, I supplemented with these other things in the part-time seminary job. So we're still we're still eking out a living, but we eked it out. So as this being a time of of stress and the challenges and even your health, what what were outlets for you? Like basketball. You know? I played a lot of basketball. Okay. I played and I ran. Okay. I ran and I played basketball. So. Yeah. Those are two things that I, I love to do whenever I could do them, and those were my stress releasers. Right. Running and playing basketball. Running and playing basketball. I would basketball. run three to four miles a day, or, wow. or three or four days a week. Mornings, evenings? Whenever I could. Whenever you could. Yeah, whenever yeah. I could, yeah. Yeah, not, not middle of the day and 
Dallas in yeah. the summer. <laughs> well, actually, I love, see, I, that's one thing about me. I love the heat. Okay. So 100 degrees is joy for me. I will, okay. even, I will even ride in 100 degrees with the windows down Great. and the air conditioning off. Great. I love, I love the hot. So, I mean, obviously there's a point where it can get ridiculous, but I love to be out in the heat. So the heat of the day is kind of fun right. for me. What about Miss Lois? What, what works? No, she wants, she wants air conditioning. <laughs> we'll be right back. Jensen is not about the church of tomorrow or next week. It is about developing and deploying the generation that is living on mission today. Jensen is here to help equip leaders with resources, training and coaching to mobilize students from middle school through post-grad and their endeavors to transform lives and leave a lasting impact. The immersive opportunities provided through Jensen experiences give college students the ministry mindset needed to become lifelong missionaries. So no matter where they end up in life, they are equipped to confidently make disciples and serve communities in need. Check out the free resources at gensend.org. All right. Well, here we go. As a podcast produced by the North American Mission Board, we hoped that a great number of our listeners would be church planners. And as a fellow church planner myself, I know you've been waiting for these kind of gory, nitty gritty details about how Dr. Evans planted his church. Well, friends, wait no longer. This next part is for you. What would have been the distinctives of we're going to plant these churches? Well, these would be independent churches were okay. not normative in the black community. Right. Okay. There were there would typically be black denominational churches. So these were independent. These were independent churches, and they would be tied to the evangelical emphasis. Okay. That okay. would be the distinctiveness. Okay. And so this was also, you know, for you specifically. Now, as we're starting to talk about. Oak Cliff, right? We are, um, because now the Bible study becomes a church on June 6, 1976. Mostly believers? Yes, in mostly the... believers, small group, eight, ten people yeah. in the home. Yeah. We decided to become a church. So I then invited Crawford Loritz to come down and join me in helping to establish the church. And he and Karen came down and spent, I think it's two years with me down here to help establish Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Well, you know, we had known about each other. We first officially, I think officially met in the summer of 1975. In addition to his time at Campus Crusade, Dr. Crawford Loritz is also a pastor and host of Moody Radio's Living a Legacy. Tony and Lois, and at the time, um, I think Crystal and they, uh, Priscilla may have been a baby. They came in that summer to work at a, a summer camp that was run by a guy that was a, a, almost like a mentor to Tony. His name is Dr. B. Sam Hart. He's in heaven now. Okay. And he had this camp. And uh, I was asked to speak at the camp and Tony was serving at the camp. He was at Dallas Seminary at the time. And so, um, we just we just hit it off and uh my wife and i and our and our son brian who was three at the time we were living in um not too far from the camp in an apartment there and, and so tony and lois and and their and their two would come over and we just struck uh struck a friendship and uh so that that's how that's how we met and discovered you know common passions and common um, you know, just a love for God's word, a love right. to proclaim it and that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about the idea of how Oak Cliff developed? Um, maybe the conversations that you and Dr. Tony uh, had. And then, you know, when did you guys first start talking about it, which led you to to join him in Dallas? I think it was during that time that we did discover just a common passion, you know, uh, common passion uh, to, to preach the word and, um, you know, to to see and just in general terms, the, the idea of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship did not come until later that year. Right. But the, the idea of, uh, you know, if ever there'd be an opportunity for us to minister together, that'd be a great thing. And then later on, um, Tony had been talking to some people there in, in Dallas about, uh, you know, just 
just about church planning and about what would, you know, what that would look like. So Tony had, they'd, they'd been challenging him uh, about planning a church. Well, Tony contacted me and his words were, he says, Crawford, I, I won't do this if you won't do this with me. And uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm thinking. So, so kind of an ultimatum there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A little, little bottom line thing there. So when he contacted uh, me and told me that, uh, I said, oh, boy, uh, the ball's now in my in our in our court. And then yep. uh, things began to move a little rapidly. Then I got contacted by the BEE is what it's called, Reuben Connor. Um, and then it began to really, Karen, I began to really pray about about all of that and uh uh and since that god indeed was calling us to uh to, to move to dallas to translate vision to reality and uh you know i mean i i know we'll get to this in the questions uh, uh i chuckle with, with with my sons and all these younger church planners that are so very strategic and you know, they've got this processed out and, you know, you, you know, they've done their demographic studies and and this kind of thing. And then they have a launch team that comes together and they have a preview and, and they do all of this stuff and they time it out just right. Uh, we had none of that. <laughs> yeah. I love that it was a clear vision, and then Doctor Evans was like, "I can't do this without you. Let's roll." Yeah, that, that's that's about it, man. Yeah, and so it was like you put it together on the fly. You know, you just go out there, knock on doors, share the gospel, right? Lead people to Jesus. You know, right? Pray that somebody shows up. Can we talk specifically about, you know, Pastor Loritz and what he brought to the table? Um, I think you've expressed and he expressed how as the, the church was started, he kind of approached him and said, I can't do this without you. Let's let's do this. What what were the things that that he and his family brought to the table that that, you know, uh, called you guys together to this mission? Well, we had gotten to know them uh, prior to starting the church with uh, um, speaking, and 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 we had uh, just spent time together as families. So when I felt like this is where we should go, knowing his passion for evangelism, and we wanted to reach people, that that would be a a, a good partnership to achieve right. the beginning from an evangelistic standpoint. Right. So when we started, we went knocking on doors. And and inviting people to church, sharing the gospel. I mean, we knocked on hundreds of doors. Just, That's great. Just uh, to reach out evangelistically. So is that a, it was that evangelistic emphasis right. that that was the draw. In this season of church planting and and trying to see this church grow and and serving those people, can you tell me a little bit about the team that started to form for the church specifically? You've always had a team. Obviously, Pastor Loritz came in for a season to get it up and going. And then can you talk about the yes. team in those early days? The number one team member outside of Loritz was Martin Hawkins. Pastor Hawkins has been my dearest friend for for this whole time. He came to us a few months after we started the church. Uh, he came to Dallas Seminary, and we we got acquainted, became friends. He said, look, I'm setting up a little church. Uh, I'll be setting up a church. Here's Martin Hawkins. And I said, so I said, you know, I'm Baptist. I'm dying to Baptist. So <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, but I'm setting up a Bible church. I said, so how many members you got? He said, it's about seven, eight of us. I said, that's not a church. That ain't even Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know that I want to get involved in that. You know, I said, right. man, I want to go to a real church. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but think about it. Come come work with me. And and here's what impressed me about Pastor Evans. I had never heard the word broken down that clearly to me. That I heard these passages, but nobody could break them down like he did. He had this unique gift of being able to tell you what that passage was, what it meant, and how you apply it in your life. I said, Wow, wow. I was really really excited about that. Prophet was already there. 
Rob Croft would tell me to come on and work with him. I'm really older than the both of them. I'm older than the both of them, so I'm saying, all right, y'all convinced me. Over there, I said, listen, I'm going to work with you. I I'll give you a year of my life. I said that 45 years ago. And uh, there was a Bible study that just, you know, I don't, I wasn't that many couples. I, I don't know if it was like, you know, maybe five couples, maybe. Right. Five or six couples in the Bible study. And uh, so, you know, that's how it got started. We, and, and uh, we met for a couple of weeks in the Bible study, as I recall. Then we said, well, y'all want to meet on Sunday mornings? I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and that's how we rolled it out. Yeah. And I think it was an alternate between Tony's house and our house. We met on, and, uh, you know, I think the first time we had like 21 people there or something like that. And uh, as I recall, those numbers could be a little, little here. There. And then we just decided, said, okay, well, we probably need to find us a place here because, you know, I mean, we, we didn't have a lot of square footage in either one of our houses. Right. So, right. So we we uh, met at the cabana room of this the apartment room. complex. The thing I remember most, we were in what we call a little cabana room. We had maybe 30 people in there at the time. 30 was high. It was more like 15. Yeah, the cabana room was a little pool room over uh, in, in an apartment complex that was in this in the section of city of Oak Cliff. Uh, and um, it was a small room with... Uh, so they let us meet there because we had a couple of people who lived there, which qualified them to let the folks use it, which we use for our Sunday services, right. which is very interesting because there was a bathroom in the cabana room. <laughs> so if somebody had to use the restroom doing the service, everybody knew somebody was using the restroom <laughs> doing the service. The cabana room was upstairs and there's a balcony that was over a pool. And so, you know, you can imagine, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the, the residents would come up there, jump off the balcony into the pool and that kind of thing. But it was uh, it was a great time. Things yeah. began to grow. <laughs> can we talk a little bit? Because um, I'd, I'd love to hear this. What what was the the flow or the format of, first of all, one of your Bible studies? So, I mean, I'm just sitting here and it's like two of my favorite preachers in the world, Dr. Loritz <laughs> and Dr. Evans are leading a small group. So did y'all share teaching? Yeah. Uh, did, yeah, we did. did. Lois lead in song. Was there yeah, prayer? She, like what were the, the things that happened? Lois played the piano. We, we yeah. sang, you know, yeah. uh, we shared. And uh, when the church got started, um, obviously we didn't have a Sunday school as such, but both of us would speak on Sunday mornings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Which was the dumbest thing in the world. But both of us look back on that, you go, you know, despite the obstacles we threw in the Holy Spirit's way, the thing grew. And so <laughs> major problem. You got two men that want to preach all the time. <laughs> both of them want to preach at every session. And they come and look at me and say, Well. It's my turn to preach. These guys love to preach. So we would hold a service there, and we would we would either alternate and teach, or uh, split it and teach. Right. And uh, then we'd have a little coffee break and a little Q and A afterwards. So it was by then maybe twenty twenty five people. Right. Uh, after we left my home, and um, and uh, so we did that for I think over over a year. Yeah, he shared that uh, in one service there were two sermons. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so we did that, and right. uh, um, it was not the most convenient thing, but it was the next thing. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so you know, uh, things start in small places, and right. uh, smile is not the beginning of small things. And that was <laughs> very interesting, but very intimate as well. Right. Could you maybe take us back to how you and Pastor Ritz would? Uh, you know, plan a service. So if y'all were preaching two sermons, would y'all try and coordinate the topic, the text? It would be the, it would be more the topic. Yeah. It would be more the topic. And, um, uh, because we only had the one service, there was no like really midweek service. So we did that, but it would, it would be a, sh a shared topic for the most part. Okay. Unless there was an agreement to do something different. Right. 
any follow up? Like you're preaching too long. <laughs> you need to dial it back. I'm any... sure there was. <laughs> People were too nervous to say anything, so we got we got away with it. Let me first ask this question because we have found this to be a common characteristic of Dr. Evans, even as a peer. Did he hound you with questions like he did everybody? Absolutely. He asked lots of questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he, you know, that is a that that's just been a lifelong strength of his. He is a learner. Uh he really is. And uh and he he likes to know the why behind things. That's just him. Right. That's just right. him. You sit in his presence, he's gonna ask you a ton of questions. And some of it is for purpose in terms of, you know. But some of it is just his his natural curiosity. Maybe practically speaking, when did the the term, the name Oak Cliff Fellowship by your recollection start? Was that when y'all shifted to worship services or? Yeah, when, I, when I did that launch? I, when, I don't remember who exactly came up with the name. It probably was Tony. OK, um, we were in Oak Cliff. We preached the Bible. Right. And. uh you know, the, the I think the word fellowship, I'm not so sure Tony would agree with me on this. Um, Gene Getz had planted Fellowship Bible Church. You know, he wrote the book, Sharpening the Focus of Church. He taught at Dallas Seminary. Right. And he was one of the early cheerleaders and supporters and of Oakland Bible of, of, of the church plant there. Right. And so I think that term was probably triggered and borrowed by, Great. by what he was doing. We came up with, uh, you know, and I, I proposed the name simply because the section of Dallas we're in is Oak Cliff. We were birthed out of this whole Bible church movement. Right. Uh, Gene Getz had a lot of influence there right. with me. And the church we, we were going to in seminary was Community Bible Church. So the Bible church movement, which were independent churches that were non-denominationally affiliated. Right. So we fit that mold and we were located in Oak Cliff. So Oak Cliff okay. Bible Fellowship became the, the, we wanted to be bibliocentric, Bible-centered. We were in Oak Cliff, and, but we wanted to be relational to fellowship. So right. that's where the name came from. We're not like these these young creative dudes. They come up with names for churches that are, you know, you don't know what it means, but it's attractive. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't that smart, man. We we just, we're in Oak Cliff. We preach the Bible, and fellowship it. sounds good. So you know, that's great. Is there any, you know, time of worship, season of ministry, perhaps even season of harvest that sticks out to you? during those two years um, that, that just are, are special memories to you during that time? Yeah, I think uh, when we when we moved from the cabana room uh, to the educational building, it was a room that I don't know, maybe would seat 150 people, maybe, yeah. with yeah. chairs in there. I, I can't explain it, but when we made that move, it, it was like that's when things just really popped. And, and maybe maybe Tony has some clarity with regard to why that took place. And I can't figure that out. But I think it was a move of God, um, you know, and that's that's when things really, really began, really began to, to take place. The Lutheran Church had a fellowship hall and they let us rent the fellowship hall. So that little group of people began to expand to from 25 to uh, maybe over 100 at that point. Uh, and uh, it was during that time that Crawford was beginning to make his transition back right. to Campus Crusade for Christ right. uh, as a full-time uh, evangelist with them. So he helped us to get things started. And then um, I took on more of the role, you know, locally. Right. And that provided us space, it provided us growth. The other thing I would say too, in hindsight, it was also a time in which, of necessity, we both realized that there had to be an adjustment. You could not continue to have two guys up there <laughs> preaching. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just somebody had to, you know, uh, take take the direction and leadership right. and the visible side of things. And right. and, uh, and you know, and I, and I was, it, I realized that too. And and. Uh, so Tony began to take a little bit more of, of that of that role. And um, by the way, there's a learning from this. Yes, please um, share. Yeah, you know, um, I believe in a team approach to ministry. 
However, if your passion is the sharing of e everything equally, you're going to inject embalming fluid in, in, in your ministry. Right. It, it's, not, it's not how you feel about uh, being satisfied with, the, with sort of like the, the division of what takes place. It's what the people need. That's good. That determines that all of that. So right. you got to be very careful that you're not trying to placate yourself and making sure that you feel good about your participation. That's not the criteria. The criteria is, you know, what do the people need? Great. And um, and how do we best serve them? And uh, so, you know, that was a that was a great that was a great learning back then. So but I think that's when when things you know, started to really take off. Yeah, they really take off. So even back in those early days, you look in the rearview mirror and you ask the question, why did it grow? Well, I think there are some other factors uh, that was beyond our control. Right. Um, we, we were not smart enough, honestly, and that's not false humility. Um, at the time, Oak Cliff was transitioning from a predominantly white community to a number of upwardly mobile African-Americans were just pouring in and, and um, and it just happened to be the right thing at the right time right with two knucklehead guys that <laughs> coalesced with it a true movement of god right yeah yeah it's we'll be right back my friend richard is not like other people he's a man with terminal cancer who decided to plant a church. They initially told me two years. And I was terrified. I still am. But our circumstance doesn't change our calling. From Send Network, this is Terminal, the dying church planter. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Calling all pastors and kingdom leaders. Dr. Tony Evans wants you to join him at the Kingdom Leaders Summit. You'll experience unforgettable panel discussions and in-depth teachings from Dr. Evans and others. Discover how to apply God's kingdom principles to your ministry, community, and personal life. There's sessions for pastors' wives, too. The dates are October 3rd through the 6th. Register now at kap2023.com. That's kap2023.com. As the Lord moved Crawford Loritz away from Oak Cliff, he was moving Martin Hawkins further in. What his great influence is, he was really a churchman. I mean, he's really local church driven. I was, in those early days, still more evangelistically driven. But he, his great influence to me was focusing and developing the church because he kind of saw the potential scope of, of our approach to ministry, preaching, teaching, and vision, and thought that would naturally birth a broader, but have it from a base right. that would be strong. Right. So he was greatly influential in that. I was in the National Baptist Convention really high. And I was, I was participatory in it for all the years I was in church. We would go to different conferences for the National Baptist Convention. So I knew church work. There's not many people and I ain't saying this braggadociously, I'm saying it for real. There's not many people know anything about the African-American church like I did because I was in it since a little kid and I know it's ins and outs. I know where the problems are. I can tell you what's not being done. I can go into church and almost assess it five minutes. Right. You know? And so with Tony's church, it was so different because they didn't have a style yet. Can you talk a little bit about those early years, especially in getting the church organized? Every Wednesday night, the leaders had to meet with him and learn about the church. We were learning ecclesiology and all that thing. Um, from a technical point of view, I knew how to practice. I knew how to practice. I'd say, Doc, let me have the inside. I can do the inside of the church. And I start working with some of the leaders in there. We ended up with about 15 leaders. And we started what we call care cells. These care cells were people that I was training in each block to take you to the church and then spread out and see if we can grow the church. And you got this many people in the church that you're responsible for. You got to keep up with them. And I meet with them every week. I want to know how is so-and-so doing? Uh, what's the word on it? And we will hold each other accountable. 
And that's what I liked. And pastor would come in and teach us. Man, there was, I mean, for me, it was like being in heaven because I hadn't had that much teaching right. on that personal level. The teaching at the seminary was big and it gave me the ideas of the, all the breakdowns of Christian education and what to do with it. But here he was talking about the pragmatics of how do I put this in practice in my life? And how do we grow our church as a result of it? So we were out knocking on doors Tuesday night, trying to win people to Christ. And then after we had win them, we had these little groups and we'd take them to pastor established new membership plans where they'd learn what to do and how to do it. And we were on our way. So he was a great balancing person for me. Plus we were friends. Right. So he he and he and I he and I played basketball together. He had a basketball on the back. A basketball okay. rack. And so we go there. He said, let's do some one-on-one. And so, Pastor Evan's pretty rough. I don't know, <laughs> boy, he'll give you an elbow in the rib in a minute. We've, we've, I, heard, we've heard some great stories about yeah. basketball games. So you oh, guys had listen, some battles, too. Listen, I, I went to him. I, I grabbed the ball. I said, so is that what you want to play? How you want to play? I said, because I love it. I said, but don't, don't feel bad when I bring it now. I'm coming right straight after your chest. And I laid the thing up. I'm going to slam it on the top of your head if I can. <laughs> and he would say, well, let's just bring it. And we would play basketball on the back of the day. I mean, we'd play as far as if we weren't friends at all. And those kind of moments allowed us an outward, fleshly way of being able to express things to ourselves. And we didn't get mad at each other. That was the good part. So the rest of the church caught on to that. These guys... They go against yeah. each other. You know, me not raise my hand and say, Pastor, I disagree with you. And I disagree with you to this point. But everybody knew it was with respect. But we always ended up with praying and asking God for the insights that we couldn't get for ourselves. If we were going different ways, I didn't take that as something that was a negative. I took it as something that was a positive, that we both had independent minds, but we knew that we'd bring them together under Christ. Uh, I mean, we have a, a unique kind of a unique friendship. Always supported me, um, would always share when he had a disagreement, but but would never a conflict. Right. And so he would be the star, uh, you know. And as others kept came on in our leadership base, he was always the stability in the life of the church. Right. So uh so he would he would be the key when, when there was no Crawford LeWitz, there was Martin Hawkins. And you said he was an associate pastor. Yeah, he was, we could we said assistant what, pastor. Assistant he was, pastor. That, for us, that would be the term for the number two guy. Right. How much would you say, you know, God bringing him into your life is one of the reasons why you've been able to do all the many things that absolutely, you've been Absolutely, absolutely. My ability to have some fluidity in my life is his stability. Wow. And passion for the local church so that n nothing would be allowed to go awry mm. because the people also had high respect for him and he was always loyal so i could i could i had mobility without without it being a negative to the church because of his stability so as a visionary and as a leader what's your encouragement to the young church planner today as they hope to accomplish an incredible new vision, mission, in finding <laughs> that right hand. Find a friend <laughs> yeah. who loves you, who loves what you're doing, but who doesn't want to compete with you. Wow, that's good. You know, because they know their space. And he knew his space. He knew that this was his role. And because the relationship was so strong, even to this day, even to this day, uh, when people see us, they, they see the history. Right. And, right. In fact, during sermons now, he always has the same place he sits on the front row. <laughs> and uh, during uh, in, in a sermon, I'll, I'll make a joke in the middle of the sermon about him. You know, and he'll stand up in the middle of the sermon while I'm preaching and making fun. So it's a it's a very uh, dynamic relationship that's yeah. that goes very deep. In regards to ministry partnership, you've had a lot of ministry partners over the years. Uh, 
What, what would you say are like some of the top things that you consider in partnering with other pastors, ministers, people to, to lead ministry together? You know, shared vision, shared passion, shared commitment, uh, and, and, and relational connectivity. Right. When those th- things are in place, then you can uh, you can get mutually be- beneficial with one another, and so um, I, I think uh, that is the thing we've tried to keep, and we, so we still have those relationships today, even if they're not in the same space. We'll be right back. Most of us spend time making a living. But not everyone spends time making a life. In his new book, Kingdom Purpose, best-selling author Dr. Tony Evans invites you to ignite your God-given passions and live the life God created you for. Get ready to embrace your value, identity, and God-given calling through this powerful guide, perfect for both individual and group study. Get your copy, Kingdom Purpose, today. Available wherever books are sold. Next time on Start to Finish. The table was really the hub of our family. It's where, you know, a majority of the conversations that we would have and the foolery that would happen in our family would happen around the table. It's where we had deep conversations. And it's where my dad mostly decided that he would share devotions with four kids who didn't want to listen. Start to Finish, the life and ministry of Dr. Tony Evans is a podcast powered by the North American Mission Board. You can get in touch with us at resources at nam.net. That's resources at namb.net. If this podcast is helpful to you, and I really hope that it was, it would be helpful to us if you'd leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to and share it with all your friends. Start to Finish is made possible by the cooperation of the Urban Alternative, Dr. Tony Evans, and the Evans family. Our show is written by Neil Hoppy and produced by Kevin Spratt. Editing by Jeremy Spencer. Our sound engineers are Eric Chapman and Aaron Leslie. Our music is by J. Adam Wesley. Trevin Wax is our executive producer. See you next time.